You're listening to Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno, supported by HomeWatch caregivers, whose mission is to preserve dignity, protect independence, and provide peace of mind for their clients and their loved ones by providing exceptional home care. News Talk 1360 WCHL is pleased to present Caring Connections with your host, Nicole Bruno. Nicole has over 15 years of experience as a geriatric social worker and administrator, working in the long-term care industry to include skilled nursing care, Alzheimer's care, adult daycare, and home care. She also worked as a family caregiver. In addition, Nicole co-founded a nonprofit in the Triangle that specializes in support for caregivers. And now, Caring Connections. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Caring Connections on 1360 WCHL. Today, we will be discussing the myths and reality of hospice care. Nikki Farrell has been in the healthcare industry for over 15 years. She has worked in the hospital setting as a discharge planner for seven years and has worked with Heartland Home Health and Hospice for the past eight and a half years and has a passion for educating the community about home health and hospice care and the wonderful services that they provide to their patients and families in need. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm really glad that you're here today to talk about this um, topic. It's a very sensitive topic, and I know that you are just the perfect perfect person to talk about it with all the compassion that you have for the industry and for those you care for. So thank you again. Um, you were so kind to provide us some things that people don't know about hospice care that they probably should. And I thought I would just talk about a few of those on air today. Um, sure. I think one of the co- most common myths for sure is that hospice care is just for cancer patients. Yeah, absolutely, Nicole. And there are so many other diagnoses out there that would qualify someone for hospice, cardiac disease, uh, stroke. Um, Sometimes it's just a patient that has a lot of comorbidities. There's just not one diagnosis. So great. Okay. And then another one, which actually I wasn't even aware of this one, is that you do not have to have a do not resuscitate order to be a hospice patient. Really? Correct. Uh, You do not. Um, Hospice, the philosophy of care, we really meet people where they are. And just because they choose hospice doesn't mean they have to give up hope or decide to, to not be a full code. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is that you do not have, you may not have to require, be required to give up treatments that are comforting, such as radiation and chemo. So you do stop curative measures, but you can continue radiation or chemo if they're helping you be more comfortable. Is that correct? Absolutely. If it's palliative in nature and okay. it's not going to change the disease progression. So um, a lot of times we'll use radiation or chemo for pain management. Okay. And another one I thought was great is that hospice is not a place. It's a philosophy of care. You know, I think oftentimes people think, oh, I had hospice care and everyone thinks it's the same organization that did it, but that's not true. Correct. There's a lot of great hospices out there. Um, And then the hospice is paid for 100% by Medicare and Medicaid and most insurance companies. So there isn't really any out-of-pocket costs for this? Correct. And you have to, with commercial insurances, they do have a benefit, so you need to check your benefit. But most hospices will accept um, patients regardless of their ability to pay. Well, wonderful. So I think those are some some top things that people probably didn't know about hospice. So I was glad we were able to share those. Um, Okay, so tell me a little bit more about the hospice philosophy of care. What exactly is that philosophy? So we now know it's not a place, although it could be, couldn't it? Correct, correct, (laughs) correct. Hospice is a type of care, and it's also a philosophy um, that focuses on managing symptoms. And, Nicole, those symptoms could be physical, emotional, spiritual, social. 
for patients uh, with life-limiting illnesses. Okay. So what are some of the services that a person can receive if they're under hospice care? Sure. Um, first of all, you get a interdisciplinary team. So you have a whole team of folks that are working with you or your loved one. And that entails a nurse, a nurse case manager, a social worker, volunteer, uh, an aide to come out and help with the activities of daily living, bathing, maybe changing the sheets, our counselors, our spiritual care coordinator. So it's a, it's a whole entire team working together um, to provide quality of life. So when you're on hospice care, do you have someone with you 24 hours a day from the hospice organization? How does that work? That is a great question and one that actually comes up quite often. No, you do not. Hospice, uh, we're on call 24-7. So there's always someone, a phone call away. But our visits are not, you know, four and five hours long. We come in and take care of whatever the need is for that visit, and then we leave. So we do collaborate closely with other community resources to make sure that the patient and family have uh, the care that they need. Okay. And um, what do you think the biggest barrier is? I've often heard being in the industry myself, you know, people often say, I wish I had hospice sooner, and especially the families. What's the biggest barrier, do you think? Yeah, there are so many barriers out there. (laughs) And you talked a little bit about some of the myths. uh, But I think the biggest barrier is the hospice word. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I think if we could just change the word. Something else. Yeah, people might be more um, receptive to hearing more about it. I think there's a a lack of education out in the community, Mm -hmm. including in the healthcare profession. Um, People don't really know what it entails. They think of the word hospice as it means they have to give up hope or that they have to be accepting of their their life-limiting illness when really hospice is hope. It is extra support. And if we could just change that mindset. Um, So that's why I'm passionate about doing a lot of education in the community uh, so people know what what they qualify for. I think one of the things that I've heard in the community in the past is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes when people go on hospice, they actually almost seemingly get better. Yeah, it's um, statistically proven that when you come on hospice, um, you live longer. Wow. Uh, about 22 to 23 days longer than you would have without hospice care. Why do they think that is? Uh, just the extra support, the extra um, care that we provide. People are more comfortable. Mm-hmm. They have a better quality of life. They can spend their last days with their family members um, doing the things that they want to do. Now, I've also, I think this is a myth, and maybe it's not a myth. I'm not quite sure. Are they allowed to go to the hospital once they elect for hospice care? They are. They are. So it is um, a myth that they cannot then. Correct. Um, And we do do a lot of education. Um, We do find that, you know, most people want to be at home. They don't want to be on a stretcher in an emergency room for six hours. Uh, So we do uh, try to keep people at home as much as possible mm-hmm. if that's where they want to be. Um, but they they can go back and forth to the hospital if need be. Uh, Medicare does say if the reason for their hospital admission is related to their hospice diagnosis, then we may have to revocate services just while they're in the hospital, mm-hmm. and then we can bring them back on service once they're discharged. Okay, so there's sort of a loophole there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and here's another one, um, another question I have for you. Uh, 
is there a limit to your hospice care? Can you come on and off it multiple times? Can you, can you, I've heard people saying that they've graduated from hospice. Is that a true, true it thing? It is. Um, we have had lots of patients graduate from hospice. Again, you know, their disease did not take its normal course that we were expecting. They got better. Um, and we do celebrate that when it happens, you know, sure. uh, what a, what a blessing. But, um, there is no limit to answer your question. Um, so if you had some sort of a life-limiting disease that all of a sudden turned itself around and then a few years later something else happened, you could you could come back on. And we see it all the time. You know, patients that were on our service, mm-hmm. they got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we celebrated that. And then several years later, they're calling again saying, I'm having a decline. Mm-hmm. I really need the extra help. So it, it, it happens quite frequently. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break. I'm here today with Nikki Farrell, social worker and manager of business development with Heartland Home Health and Hospice, talking about the myths and reality of hospice care on 1360 WCHL, and we'll be right back. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno on News Talk 1360 WCHL is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. And now, more of Caring Connections. Welcome back. I'm here today with Nikki Farrell, social worker and manager of business development with Heartland Home Health and Hospice, talking about the myths and reality of hospice care on 1360 WCHL. And I'm your host, Nicole Bruno. So Nikki, just to put this in a framework, I would love for you to talk about a recent story that you could share just to give people an idea of how much of an impact having hospice care could provide. Sure, sure. And the the one patient that comes to mind, Nicole, was a young man with two young children. He had two little boys and he had a brain tumor and he had stopped treatment. There was nothing else that they could do. Mm -hmm. And we were caring for him for quite a while And we asked him, you know, what is it that you haven't done that you want to do? And he said to our our nurse, he said, I want the chance to redeem myself as a man. Mm. And we got into that a little bit more. What what does that mean for you? And uh, the doctors had told him he would not live to Christmas. Okay. And that was really hard for him because he wanted to have one more Christmas with his children. They were under a lot of financial stress, obviously. Sure. And he didn't have the money to give his children a Christmas. Mm -hmm. So our nonprofit memorial fund, um, we gathered funds from that. And we bought the children a trampoline. Mm. And we had a Christmas in one of the summer months. And like a Christmas in July. Yeah, (laughs) it was wonderful. And um, his children never knew that that we provided that trampoline for him. But he he said that gave him the chance to redeem himself as a man. He was comfortable. He was able to set up in his wheelchair for nine hours that day, which he hadn't been able to do, and to really just enjoy his family. And we made it a luau because he and his wife wanted to go to Hawaii for their anniversary and couldn't. So it was just a a wonderful time for him to share with his family and for us to, to give back to him. You know, oftentimes these patients are touching our lives just as much as we're touching theirs. And that is uh, a story that I will always remember Mm. seeing the children's faces and and 
for him to to feel like he he got his last wish. Kind of reminds you every day when things get tough, why you do what you do. Exactly. It's a, it's a constant grounded. reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And I would suspect, too, you know, in the older adult population, particularly families with Alzheimer's and dementia type diagnosis, you know, these families, it, it's a long, long road, sort of grieving for that person for who they were and who they versus who they are now through that whole process. I'm sure that hospice must provide some great closure to that. Would you agree? Sure. Absolutely. Um, Alzheimer's and dementia, it's a very, very sad disease. And like you said, can be drawn out for so long and the grieving starts, you know, so early. It does. Um, Sure. Can you provide hospice care, say somebody, if they lived in a community like um, an independent living or assisted living or a nursing home or, or no? Sure. In fact, um, hospice is provided wherever you call home. So it doesn't have to be an independent house necessarily. Correct. It could be the home you've lived in all your life. It could be a skilled nursing facility. Okay. It could be assisted living, independent living, uh, really anywhere that wow. you call home. Wow. Well, that's great to know. I don't think everybody might not necessarily know that. So. So what exactly qualifies a person for hospice care under the Alzheimer's and dementia diagnosis? I know that that can be a little bit tricky and and when, you know, when that time could actually be the right time. Sure. Um, Well, I'm going to give you just lots of things that uh, our listeners could look for. Okay. um, Should they have a loved one with Alzheimer's? Some of the first signs of end-stage Alzheimer's disease is they lose the ability to to communicate. Okay. So maybe mom or dad was able to say complete sentences a month ago, and now they can't even put six words together to communicate their needs. There may be swallowing issues. Um, They're pocketing food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps they are- What do you mean by pocketing food? Just holding it in their mouth um, and not swallowing. Maybe they're not eating. They've lost a desire to eat. Maybe they've forgotten how to eat. They can't hold the fork. They can't hold the spoon. Uh, they're incontinent. Okay. Maybe they're having skin breakdown, other infections. Mm-hmm. They're not able to ambulate mm-hmm. like they were a month ago. Now they're bed bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, frequent rehospitalizations or any new infections, pneumonia, urinary tract infections, those are all signs of end stage Alzheimer's. And you may have one or two, but that doesn't mean that you're in stage, but when you look at all of these and all of these symptoms are happening. So how um, many symptoms do you need to really show? I know that's kind of a technical question. It is, and it's individualized. Um, What we would encourage you to do is to talk to your doctor, you know, talk to a hospice provider to see if you meet the the eligibility under that diagnosis. So what a beautiful gift to give someone in their last days, this type of care, it sounds like to me. Absolutely, because our families um, with loved ones with Alzheimer's and dementia really struggle. It's just a tough, tough disease and and given the care for those folks. So say I wanted to um, take some steps in order to take advantage of the hospice benefit. What exactly do those steps look like? Is it as simple as a phone call or how does it work? Yeah, well, I think the first first step is just to recognize that you need the care Mm -hmm. um, and not to get wrapped up in the word hospice, but just think of it as extra supportive care. So recognizing that first, we encourage our listeners to um, talk to your doctor. Okay. Um, you know, that's are doctors first, reluctant sometimes? They are. They are. They don't want to give that person that six months or less. Right. Um, that's That can be a little uh, scary for them, yeah. I think. 
But, um, you know, it is smart to go ahead and start having that conversation. But the biggest thing is I would encourage folks to just pick up the phone and call several hospices. Mm -hmm. Talk to them. Uh, Talk to them about your loved one. Ask questions. Find a hospice that's a good fit. And um, they can actually help you navigate through that healthcare system, calling the doctor, getting an order. Um, you do not have to have a doctor's order in order to sit down and have an informational visit okay. with someone from hospice. Okay. So um, it's never too early to gather the information is what I would say. So is it okay if... Um uh, you know, I had an informational visit with a hospice worker. Would they be willing to or able to help talk to my doctor if I felt like I was ready to make the next step? Absolutely. And we do that all the time. Okay. What we find is sometimes it's overwhelming for our families and loved ones to really take that next step and to really navigate through that health care system sure. can be tough. So we would absolutely make those phone calls and, and speak with the physician. That's great. And I have another quick question for you before we take another break. Um, I've heard but I, it may not be correct that you have to give up a primary care physician once you activate your hospice benefit. Is that true? It is not true. Okay. That's another myth another um, that we can add to our list. Boy, there's a lot of myths. <laughs> there are. Um, in fact, you know, what we find is a lot of our patients have had the same primary care physician for years and years, and they don't want to give that up. And that sure. is perfectly fine. The primary care physician and the hospice medical director collaborate together. Yeah, because your primary care physician knows you better than anybody else. Exactly. All those years. So. Yeah, so they work closely together. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I'm here today with Nikki Farrell, social worker and manager of business development with Heartland Home Health and Hospice, talking about the myths and reality of hospice care. And we'll be right back. Karen Connections with Nicole Bruno on News Talk 1360 WCHL is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. And now, more of Karen Connections. Welcome back. I'm here today with Nikki Farrell, social worker and manager of business development with Heartland Home Health and Hospice, talking about the myths and reality of hospice care on 1360 WCHL. And I'm your host, Nicole Bruno. So right before the break, we were just talking about all the wonderful things that hospice can provide. And I just think it is it is truly a gift to, to be able to give this to somebody in their last days. Um, what I would love for you to talk about now, if that's okay with you, is bereavement support. What happens after a loved one passes? I know as a caregiver, you know, you've been caregiving so long and then that person is gone. And there's sort of, there's a big empty space, not only in your heart, but in your time. What can your bereavement support do to help somebody? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, we recognize that grief is different for different people, and it may look different. Uh, Our bereavement counselors actually work with our families up to 13 months after the death death of their loved one. And the reason we, we say 13 months is because we feel like it's really important to get through that first anniversary yeah. date. Yeah. And a lot of folks uh, have delayed grief. Maybe they don't start grieving until that one-year anniversary. Okay. And so sometimes we will extend it. But we have you know support groups. We send cards. We have one-on-one sessions with the, the loved one. 
whatever it needs to be for that person, um, depending on where they are in their grief. Is there a charge for that? I mean, obviously, the person who was receiving benefits is no longer with them. There is no charge. Okay. In fact, um, we we offer community bereavement. Even if someone is not on our service as a hospice patient, we will always offer community bereavement. So um, all hospices do that. I know I often get a lot of phone calls about support groups and a lot of people are looking for specific bereavement support groups, and this is a very different issue than being in a room with people who are currently caregiving. Do you have a phone number that you could share if people are listening might feel like, you know, I'd really love to get connected with that type of service so that folks can talk to one of your bereavement counselors? Sure. Um, our main office, Heartland Home Health and Hospice, and the phone number is 919 9959 and Dot Murray would be the best contact. Okay. And uh, she could ap- uh, absolutely get you set up with that. So, if there was one thing that you would want our listeners to remember from today's interview, what would that one thing be? It would be to, to not think of hospice as you're giving up on your loved one. Think mm-hmm. of it as extra supportive care paid for by Medicare and most insurances. That's a good takeaway. And how about a few resources before we close? Sure. Um, some of my favorite, um, one is a book called Gone From My Sight. And this is one we use with our families quite often. It helps prepare them for what's happening. Mm-hmm. It talks about symptoms, what they can expect, Um a lot of families come back and say that this little blue book was so, so helpful. Um, it is by Barbara Carnes. Uh, also, I would encourage you to check out the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization website, and that is www.nhpco.org. They have great information and articles, anything you could ever want to know about life-limiting illnesses and hospice care. There's also a book, uh, The Four Things That Matter Most, and this is a book about living by Ira Bayok, and then you can get that on Amazon.com. And of course, Guiding Lights has been a great resource, you know, connecting uh, families with services out there. Uh, and um, I've already told you about our bereavement support at Heartland Home Health and Hospice. Sure. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Nikki Farrell and I as we discuss the myths and reality of hospice care on 1360 WCHL. And as always, you may email your caring issues to caring at 1360wchl.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The purpose of Caring Connections is to educate listeners to help improve the quality of life for families, for professional caregivers, as well as for those people afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers and can be heard Saturdays at 10 a.m. Email questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Caring Connections is a presentation of News Talk 1360 WCHL.